This episode is brought to you by Papa Rob's Coffee. This is by far our favorite coffee in the Stamper household. Head over to paparobscoffee.com to see many varieties of wonderful medium and dark blends. I know Papa Rob just added another blend to his website. To head over to paparobscoffee.com, use the code ASPIRE15 to get 15% off your order. This is only for Aspire listeners, so make sure you head over, grab some fantastic coffee at a discounted price. I'm excited to share with you that in the next week or so, I'm going to be announcing another partnership that Aspire to Lead has, and I can't wait to share this information with you. For the time being, though, I'm getting ready to head over to FETC Conference with Ray Hewitt and Jeff Gargas, and then the following week, I get to go to TCEA down in San Antonio about restorative and trauma-informed practices. This week, I have a fantastic guest who's on the Teach Better Podcast Network, Ken Ehrman, and he's going to talk about instructional coaching. So stay with as we have this important conversation on how to grow within our leadership journey. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Ken, thank you so much for being on the Spider Lead podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Ken, I obviously am connected with you through the Teach Better Podcast Network, but I want to say it was an absolute joy to meet you in person at Teach Better 22. And I was just wondering, what was your experience like? I always like getting feedback from those who were in attendance, but you know, what did you think of Teach Better 22? I was just equally as excited to meet you, meet a couple other members on the team. It was a great experience. I've gone to a lot of conferences. I've organized events myself as a as a coach for my district as well as some other outside professional events and and it was top notch. I I really appreciated the focus on the relationship piece and the connection piece between the team and the members and or the attendees and the attendees themselves. I thought you guys did a great job of not projecting yourselves as the organizers of the event but as as uh, just you know one of many attendees. It was a great experience. I enjoyed being able to be a part of Podcaster Row. I thought that was a really cool thing that I've never seen at any other conference. The sessions were quality. The keynote was quality. The social events after were, were quality. So overall, great experience. I went because I, I wanted to be a part of the Podcaster Row that was part of it. I presented a session. I, I love presenting to new teachers. I also went for the perspective of my district to see if it was an event that would be beneficial to send our teachers to. I've really been trying to beat the drum of getting our teachers to attend conferences, not just the principals and the coaches. And so, you know, I kind of went with that lens too of vetting that. And, and I'm hoping once you guys release some information, I can start drumming up teachers and, and get administrator support to, to send a team of teachers to the conference next year. Well, that's amazing, man. I so enjoyed having you on Podcast Row. That was kind of my baby of mm-hmm. creating, you know, different podcasts, most of them a part of the Teach Better Podcast Network. But you, and we'll talk about this later, you know, have such a quality product that you put out with your podcast. And um, I was so excited to see that you're presenting too. And I know we got a lot of good feedback about your session. But before we get too much into the different topics we're going to discuss later on in this conversation, I would love to have my listeners learn about your journey and what you're doing in education. Sure. So I am in the Penridge School District for my full-time job. I've been here other than a year of subbing and long-term subbing after graduating college. I've been here my entire career. I love it here. So we are 
about an hour northwest of Philadelphia to, to pinpoint us on a map. And I started my career here teaching fifth grade. And my experience in fifth grade actually shaped a lot of what I, I do today. And it was, even though I was in the same room, the same building for, I think it would end up being eight years, it was, it transformed many times. And I had a lot of oppor different opportunities in that space as a teacher and a, as a leader. When I was teaching math to all three homerooms, including my own, and I was teaching reading to my homeroom. And so a large part of my focus was on preparing math instruction. And I started with stations from my first year, found out I was, I was running math workshop, even though I had never heard of it. I flipped my classroom one year and, and all of those pieces culminated into running really a personalized learning experience for each individual student, where I really honed in and focused my skills on developing what student-centered learning really can look like. And about halfway through teaching fifth grade, we moved to a self-contained model. So I started teaching science and social studies, which I absolutely loved. I love teaching science and social studies, creating experiences. I did a lot of kinesthetic learning. It was it was a nice like re revitalization for me, even though I, I didn't even transfer rooms or schools or anything. And so that further just enhanced my craft as a teacher and enhanced my instructional approaches, blending of what I was doing in math and reading and bringing into science and social studies. That's where project-based learning really thrives for me and, and where I started to explore really transforming entire units into being a, a, a project led by the students. And so additionally, in my time at Siler Elementary, I started a news studio for our fifth graders to uh, do video news on, on Fridays. And it, it started with a conversation of my principal saying, I got you an iPad. I got you a tripod. I'm going to paint this wall green. I want a news program. And, and that was really the, the, the dawn of it. And to, to backdate that, and when I first met my principal, it was our, my second year, I walked up to him and I said, because I knew he was into technology and I wanted technology in my room because I had very little. I said, if you want to try anything with technology, come to me first and I'll figure it out for you. And which I thought was a great moment for me, but it was a thousand times better for him because he realized that he had that teacher leader in his building that was going to be the one to really push initiatives. And so, you know, I would, I would highly consider myself an educational leader. I hold an admin cert, but I've never held an admin position. I'm an instructional coach now. So it's a little bit of that pseudo leadership position in our district, but you know, I've always been a driving force of pushing initiatives, being a part of programs in our school, leading school assemblies, and all all for the betterment of students. That's really been the driving force of, of all the decisions I made. Between fifth grade and in instructional coach, I taught a year of elementary STEM. It was a brand new program that we launched in our district. And so I've had a very diverse experience and it's it served me well now because I'm a secondary coach. So I'm working with our middle school and high school teachers. And so although I don't come from that world, I've taught so many subjects and I've taught in so many different modes of, of learning that it's actually, I think, helped equip me in, in really being able to sort of support as many teachers as possible. Yeah. The instructional coach position is, is a leadership position and one that I leaned on heavily. I mean, mm -hmm. my instructional coaches were my lifeline because I was dealing with so much discipline and other aspects of the job that getting in classrooms was just not possible so many times. So 
I can only imagine the impact that you're making on your campus. I want to go back real quick, Ken, to what you were talking about with student-centered learning and something that you were implementing within your classroom. I'm just curious if you, if you wouldn't mind just defining kind of what that was and how you started to make that change to make sure that it was student-centered. Initially, it was it was teaching in stations to get a small group in front of me. That was the goal. And that's honestly the driving force of really anytime you're doing some sort of student-centered learning is when you have a smaller set of students in front of you, they're going to participate more. You're so much more aware of what they understand, what they don't understand. And after a few years of doing stations across three homerooms, so really nine rotations a day, if you walked into my classroom, I w- my classroom management probably would have been ranked very highly, and it always was. But from my perspective, it was terrible because I, w- I felt so regimented and pressured to keep the rotation schedule going. I needed to make sure that my small group lesson aligned perfectly with the two other stations that students would be interacting with. I was using data to group my students, but when I reflected on it, those students were experiencing the same three stations throughout the course of, of the classroom. And so I started to ask myself, what's the point? What's the point of collecting data? What's the point of grouping my students? When I I like to use this analogy, I was serving vanilla ice cream all day. I wasn't serving them the flavor of ice cream that they needed, that the data was telling me. And so I really started to move towards a model of more pulling small groups that I wanted to work with, targeting instruction, and breaking my students down into three categories, practice, enrich, and instruction. They needed... they. There was data showing me that they needed a heavy amount of instruction for this specific skill. So I'm going to spend a heavy amount of time with them just doing really probably what the manual is telling you to do in terms of instruction. My practice group has showed me that they understand this at a basic level. They probably just need more time to practice and more time for me to say, oh, this, you know, you're doing this part right, but don't forget this step. Don't forget to look at this vocabulary term. Don't forget to include this opening sentence in your writing. And then my enriched group showed that they mastered it already. And I was going to waste their time if I forced them to do all of this practice. I was going to waste their time if I did any type of instruction with them. They needed to be challenged immediately. And they needed me to review that challenge and question them and, and, and enrich them, not just give them extra work. And so it completely transformed the way I approached instruction overall. And then the student centered component just kept building from there. How do I give them more ownership? If I want students to succeed independently, they need to be able to make decisions. Am I forcing them to make decisions on a daily basis? I started to evaluate the way I ran morning work, the way I ran transitions, the way I, you know, the way I facilitated jobs in my classroom. I, I, every time I looked at my day, I said, what am I doing that I don't have to do that my students can do? And it really transformed into this idea of, of looking at the, the classroom overall. You know, if we're just trying to facilitate a station rotation, that's great. And that's a great point to start at. But if you really want your students to be intrinsically motivated, you have to look at the classroom overall and how you're structuring that that student-centered learning. Yeah. And I want to talk about kind of the term that you used earlier about empowering students. So how did you change the typical lesson to make sure that you were giving some ownership and empowering your students in each experience that you provided? One thing that I really encourage is being very explicit. I was very explicit with my students to help them understand why our classroom was structured the way it was, what my reasoning was, and what my goals were for the way learning was going to look. And so I told them, if you're doing an activity, whether you're practicing, you're watching a screencast, 
you're making a screencast. I'm asking you to teach another peer how to do a process. I am asking you because you have shown me that you are going to benefit from that activity. Even if you're the one being taught by a peer, you're going to benefit from that activity. By being very explicit and honest with my students, they developed a trust to, to know that, okay, I'm not in the low group. I'm not in the high group. I'm in the I'm doing that activity that Mr. Ehrman personally picked for me to do. And so that can feel like a very overwhelming task. And at times it was, but I, I also think there's very simple ways to approach it. So I have a, I have a slide that I use in a, a, a couple of presentations I've done, but if you just look at three things, three activities that the students are going to do, they're going to meet with the teacher and they're going to do two independent activities. My instruct group is going to meet with me first and I'm just going to teach them let's say order of operations. I'm just going to like do good quality teaching. When they leave me, they're then going to watch a screencast teaching the exact same thing I just taught them with some guided practice built into the screencast. And then when they leave that activity, they're going to maybe do the next the next step. So maybe order of operations, they only looked at add, subtract, multiply, divide. Then they rewatch it as a screencast. Then after that, they'll watch a screencast that introduces them to parentheses. So then the next day when I meet with them, I can then start with that skill. My practice group, they're going to start and they're just going to do practice problems guided in a screencast. And then when I meet with them, I'm just going to practice with them. I'm going to put a problem on the board and I'm going to watch them solve it. And here is where I can pivot and adjust and say, okay, they are not where I thought they were. I'm going to do some instruction or wow, they're great. Let me give them a harder one. Let me give them a harder one. You guys are awesome. See you later. Get out, get out of here. And then they're going to go do some sort of maybe more challenging activity where it really forces them to explore that concept more. My enrichment group, they're not going to do any practice problems at all. I'm going to start them with maybe taking a word problem and they have to construct the number sentence that would solve it in the right order to match the word problem. And then when they meet with me, I'm going to check that work and maybe I'll introduce solving equations because that's related to order of operations. So thinking about what they need to do to succeed based on the data that I'm collecting. Very informal, very quick. Have them solve three order of operation problems, see if they get it or not, or see if they're somewhere in the middle. You know, you don't have to complicate it. And, and two, if you have programs, so we had everyday math. My kids did everyday math. Mostly every student did journal page 65, but they did it when I told them to. I didn't have every student do journal page 65 at the same time. Some of them did it before they met with me. Some of them did it after they met with me based on what I could tell about their understanding of that skill. So I, th I think that's one way to empower the students is to just flat out say, here's what I'm doing, here's why. I would let them see the results of their Google form quick checks so they knew if they were succeeding or they weren't and they were going to get more instruction or they weren't. Also, like I said, you know, have them tutor each other, have them work with each other. I would identify classroom experts and say, if you need help with Google Slides, Ryan is the expert of that. If you need help with uh, adding fractions, Susie is awesome at adding fractions. She will help you if you need help. So empowering them that way too, where you're identifying them as experts for a particular skill or concept. I want to go back to your story. You talked about going up to your principal and saying, hey, if mm -hmm. technology is in the campus, I want it. And I remember mm -hmm. some of my staff members doing the same thing. And uh, I was overjoyed by that because I, I too feel like technology is something that needs to be implemented in, in every single classroom. So for those who potentially are getting different devices in their 
classroom and they want to incorporate STEM concepts, what can they start with? I mean, as an instructional coach, where do you start your teachers off when they're looking at the curriculum and the technology and, and how do you work with them to, to blend those two? It's a much different world now too with, with that conversation. I mean, I said that in 2015 and I had, we had a, you know, a cart of 30 laptops, right? So I was just trying to get more devices into my room and, and I actually left fifth grade before fifth grade was even one-to-one. So I, I technically never taught in a one-to-one environment. Yeah. As a STEM teacher, I, I had that. And so when I'm working with teachers and they're, they're typically saying, oh, I saw this tool. I want to, I think I should use that. Or I heard someone's using this tool. I think I should use that. I think it's a reflection of what are you trying to enhance in your classroom? Are you trying to incorporate stations? Are you trying to incorporate some sort of small group learning? Are you trying to offer an opportunity for your students to creatively showcase the content that they're learning in your classroom? I think it's important to know what you're hoping to create and then finding a tool that's going to fit that. Depending on your level of comfort with technology and you know how savvy you are in picking things up, I think it's really beneficial to look for tools that will be used multiple times throughout the year. So Canva is a tool that's free for every educator everywhere. And so Canva, you can make presentations, you can make comic strips, you can make screencasts. There's so many different things that you can do with that tool where if teachers are hesitant to invest time in their students to teach them a tool, that's a great place to start because it's something you can recycle over and over again for different activities. I think it's important to consider how you're going to teach your students technology. And a strategy that I love to use, I, I call blending objectives. So if I want to teach my students how to use Google Slides, because later in the year, they're going to have to create a presentation. Earlier in the year, I'm going to introduce some of the basic components. So if we're doing vocabulary review, I'll say, here are your 10 words. Here's Google Slides. Here's how you add a title. Here's how you add a text box. Here's how you add a picture. I want you to make 10 slides, one for each vocab word. The title is the word, the text box is the definition, and the picture showcases that, that word in some, some capacity. I've now spent the time reviewing the vocabulary that I needed to in my classroom, and I've also taught them the basics of Google Slides. I haven't had to find extra time to teach the tool because it's very hard to find extra time to do anything in our classroom. So if you can find ways to use a tool that you can incorporate in different activities to then be able to add that as an asset later, I think is beneficial. Honestly, if I had to pick one tool for someone to use, it'd be Google Slides. It's something that you can use as a presentation tool. It's something you can use as a graphic organizer. You can use it as a, as a template to, um, for writing. You know, you break apart the writing in different paragraphs, use each slide as a paragraph. There's so many different versatile things you can do with Google Slides that I just think it's a great tool for a new teacher who's looking to use technology to get comfortable with. Yeah, Google Suites in general is, is a wonderful tool mm -hmm. for that. And I, I'm just curious, I know for our instructional coaches, they were really vital to making sure that they kind of vetted the tools and the resources for our teachers and then also presenting us with options for professional development. So, you know, within your role, how are you finding meaningful professional development for your teachers? I will say my district has done a very good job the last three years, really dwindling down our list of tools. We have a very small list of tools that we pay for, we endorse and we encourage teachers to use. 
And it's it's kind of that, it's fit that model for the most part of, we can use this for this, for this, and for this. And so formative is a tool that we've rolled out for the last few years for our math and science and now all teachers. It's a great assessment tool. It's a great instruction tool. And so, you know, as coaches, we're really trying to make sure that we leave the options limited, but it really can cover all bases. Doesn't mean teachers can't explore other tools outside, but they're not going to get, you know, the pro version of, of everything. So we've really isolated to be financially savvy, but also to be savvy for our teachers. As far as professional learning, our teachers enroll in different sessions by choice. They have to earn hours throughout the year. And so we'll facilitate sessions on tools, but our approach is always modeling instructional strategies with the tool. So you're not going to come and learn how to use formative. You're going to learn how to use formative while we showcase how you can use it to facilitate uh, small groups, small group instruction, or we're going to show you how to facilitate, use this to create data that's going to impact instruction for the following day. So we try to do our best to teach the tools as necessary while pairing it with some sort of modeling of instructional approach. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So Ken, let's pivot a little bit because I know obviously you have a fantastic podcast that I've mentioned here and then you present, you also have a framework that I'd love to dive into. So you present on this often, which is teach like a CEO. I would love for you to share a little bit of, about that framework for my listeners. Absolutely. So it, it goes back to what I was saying about that holistic approach to student-centered learning. And so the the CEO is a play on words. It's it's thinking of a CEO of a corporation. They have a large corporation to manage. And in order for a CEO to be successful in doing that, they have to impact all the way down to the smallest granular part of their company, but they really have to rely on systems. And so the framework looks at how you can utilize systems to empower students to be more, more of a decision maker in the classroom. And so it also stands for three things. The C is culture of learning, E is empowering experiences, and O is operations of management. So the culture of learning is where you are finding ways to empower your students to be more intrinsically motivated, to take more ownership of learning. And I break down specific examples of things you can do in the way you facilitate lessons, the way you facilitate projects. I talked about opening the data up to the students and being explicit with them. That's part of that culture. It's getting them to value their learning and value their understanding to be motivated to do better and to be motivated to understand that when they're not doing well, they're going to receive the support that they need to, to reach the goals that they're striving for. Empowering experiences is really looking at the lesson overall. How are you constructing it? Small group rotation is part of that. Uh, systems for using small group learning is part of that, but also focusing your lessons more on the experience of the students and, and less on how you're going to deliver content. And so what experience are the students going to have as they learn or explore that content to feel more empowered? How can you, how can you flip the script and have them create right off the bat and then reflect on what they create for them to correlate it and look at the vocab and look at the content that they're learning versus teaching in the content, assessing the content, and then maybe if there is time, do something creative. 
And the operations and management, honestly, I don't really think it's anything groundbreaking. It's just a reminder of you need strong operations. You need strong man classroom management strategies. But the, the spin on it is, is looking at systems that you can put into place where you don't have to manage student behavior. You don't have to direct students. The system is going to direct the students to, to direct themselves. And so a, a quick example for that could be secondary teachers when they transition from class to class is probably the most stressful part of the day. Kids are leaving. Kids are coming in. They probably really have. They probably have to go to the bathroom really bad. They have to close out all of the tabs. <laughs> they have to put up their projector slide, which has their directions for students to walk in to start working. That might create a good result of students coming in and directing themselves, but that's not a system creating that. That's a teacher doing a lot of work in a small amount of stressful time. A simple modification to that is the teacher puts a, a marker in their LMS, whether it's announcement, it's a page, it's something. They put in the directions for what students are supposed to do when they walk in that day. Every day, the students go to that same exact spot in their LMS to know how to start class. The teacher can pre-populate that before the day starts when it's much calmer. Now the students come in and they read that. And it might say, answer this discussion post. It might say, pull up this activity from yesterday. It might say, close your laptop and talk to the friend next to you. It doesn't matter what it says. It matters where it says it. So now the teacher can calmly transition from class to class, maybe have time to run to the bathroom, or most beneficially, stand at the door and greet students and not be stressed by that. And so that's just a simple way of looking at how a system can create better classroom management routines in your classroom. All right, so let's transition to your fantastic podcast because I love having podcasters on because it's one thing to have a piece of content that you put out, but it's another to actually hear the reason why you started in the first place and what audience you're seeking you know, to enhance education, right? So I love having you on the podcast network and I think you know, your time at Teach Better 22 just like enhanced, you know, our relationship, but then also, you know, understanding who you are as a human being. And you're just such a fantastic leader. And uh, I'm so honored to have you a part of the network. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with the listeners about your fantastic podcast. Yeah, thank you. So it's the, the podcast is called Powered Up. And we launched, actually, I will never forget the day we launched because when I was going through deciding whether or not I wanted to do it, uh, I really, I run the show, but I have a co-host, Matt, who comes on with me almost every week. Mm -hmm. He's, I think he's missed maybe three episodes. And we picked a date and I said, we are going to launch no matter what. This is the day we're going to launch. It was the inauguration day of Joe Biden, which was a terrible day to try to launch anything on social media. <laughs> uh, not that it really mattered, but it was just, it was just funny. I realized like the day before that it was going to line up perfectly with that. That's funny. So uh, we launched in January, 2021. Show 100 is coming out in two weeks, which is is just crazy. We were out every Thursday except Thanksgiving. We skipped Thanksgiving now now two years in a row as a reminder to teachers that you need to take a break and you need to have time with family. And so the goal of the show is really just to empower our audience while also empowering our guests. Almost all of our shows include guests, and almost all of our guests are classroom teachers. We've had a lot of state teacher of the years, state teacher of the year finalist. I was a finalist for Pennsylvania in 2019, and it was a just kind of a, an epiphany for me as I was planning this. It was a great network of teachers that I could find and reach out to. 
And so we've talked to teachers from, I haven't counted, but I think we're upwards close to 40 out of our 50 states. It uh, might even be a little bit higher. Just a, a really nice range of, of teachers we've talked to. I've had every encore subject, every elementary grade, every uh, course subject in secondary. We've had a couple authors. We've had a couple keynote speakers. We've had a couple principals, assistant principals like, like yourself, Josh. Um, so just a really good wide range. But our bread and butter is really just classroom teachers. And we just get to know them. It's unscripted like our conversation is right now. And just listen to them, hear what they're passionate about, hear what fuels them and, and what they do in their classroom that might be a little bit different and how they really connect with students. Relationships with students is a usually a part of every episode, but teachers have different approaches and different ideas and different ways to reach students. And we've heard so many different models of instruction and instructional strategies that they use that really drive their classroom. And it's just, it's great to hear because there's different ways to get the same result. And that's students feeling connected and students feeling motivated to learn. I mean, if those, if you're accomplishing those two things in your classroom, you're winning on a daily basis. And I've just come to learn that there's so many different ways to approach that depending on your community, depending on the diversity of students that you're working with and the grade level and the subject that you teach, there has to be different approaches. And my, my co-host Matt and I have, have said many times, it's been the best professional development of our life. And just it's 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 a privilege for us to be on there on a weekly basis. So it, I, I just love it. And I didn't know entirely why I wanted to do it. I just knew I wanted to do it. And it's blown away my expectations of what we could accomplish. I, I just love everything that you're doing, Ken. And I'm super excited about just you getting to 100 episodes and to mm -hmm. see where the podcast goes. And then, of course, you presenting also. So, Ken, for our listeners, you know, this is a question I ask all my guests. If there's something they can do tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey, what would you suggest? I would say look at how you are and can be a leader in the role that you're in. You hear all the time that, you know, you don't have to be an admin to be a leader. And I, and I truly believe that. And also, you know, at looking at your journey is if you do want to be a principal or you do want to be a superintendent or you do want to be just a teacher leader, what are you doing to enhance your, your own skills and to look for leadership opportunities in the position that you're in? And so as a classroom teacher, I wanted to be a part of the committee that rolled out the new positive behavior program that we were going to roll out school-wide. I wanted to be a part of that initiative from the ground up. I wanted to see how we developed the system and, and everything that was put into place with that. And that was a leadership ex experience for me to be a school leader, but also to grow my own skills. You know, now as a, as a coach, it's a more of a leadership position, but I'm still taking on projects that go beyond the coaching role to expand my leadership capabilities and learning how to, you know, I rolled out a brand new system that we use to track all of our professional learning. And so I kind of took that project on head force and, and it's taught me a lot of things that I did well and that I didn't do well in terms of rolling it out to the entire district. And so, you know, look for those opportunities to challenge yourself to step into a leadership position, but also find ways where it's going to enhance your abilities as a leader and you're going to trip up and learn along the way. So Ken, if anyone's looking to connect with you or maybe have you come to their district to present, how can they connect with you on social media? So the best way to connect with me is my Twitter account. 
That's what I use the most. And it's at Ken Ehrman. So it's just the spelling of my name, K-E-N-E-H-R-M-A-N-N. You can find my website there. My website is kenerman.org. So just pretty much my name. I would love to come out uh, and work with, with teachers, with principals. Uh, recently, I've been doing a little bit of, of keynote presenting. I opened up for a district, another district earlier this year. Um, and I have gone back and done some further full day of custom PD for their teachers, as well as embedded coaching. Uh, I've, I've worked with a few schools now that are smaller that don't have instructional coaches. And so I'm going in and, and running full days of professional development and then also going back when students are there, doing some model teaching, co-teaching with their teachers and, and really just trying to, to empower them to, to think about the concepts they're learning in the professional development that they do with me. That's wonderful. And I'll have all of those links in the show notes, including the podcast. And make sure you check out all that Ken is doing. He is creating a ton of content and producing quite a bit to enhance teachers and leaders' journeys. So, Ken, I just appreciate not only being connected on the podcast network, but for your time, all the wisdom that you shared, and being on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Absolutely, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure.